excited to have Jeremy on today and to talk about his training methodology, his brands, his patents, patents, his shed training patents uh, starting in 2009. And um, he has training videos. He has a YouTube channel. And we've watched a lot of his videos. And um, we've watched his stuff on some very specific training um, videos, especially well, we talked earlier about force fetch and things like that, which we'll get into. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, there's there's the short end of our techiness trying to get it recorded <laughs> on multiple things. But um, no, we I, I really appreciate you you doing this with us. Um, it's an honor to have the opportunity to talk with you guys. Hopefully, um, share some information on you know to your followers as well. We we are a follower of yours as well, and um, en enjoy your page. So. Um, yeah, just a little bit of background. So we, you know, we're, we are from Pulaski, Wisconsin, which is near Green Bay. Um, shed, shed training product line is, is what, what got us started. It's a brand that we had named Dogbone. Um, it, my, my, I've, my background with retrievers is, is deep with Goldens. My parents always had, uh, had Goldens. I was raised with Goldens, soft spot in my heart for them. And they had a small kennel. And so we always had them, but we weren't like, they weren't real hardcore hunting dogs or anything. They were family dogs first, for sure. And then um, my dad did some pheasant hunting with them, and I got to tag along on some of those trips when I was younger. And and so I, I we were talking a little bit about about it earlier. Like if it weren't for if it weren't for dogs, I wouldn't hunt birds. Like I just I I love I love I like eating them. I love shooting them. I don't love them to the point that I would do it if I didn't have a retriever. And so to me, that's that's the part that puts it all together and makes it worthwhile for me. Um, and, and the, the deer stuff for me started because I, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin and, and up here, you know, the deer hunting culture is really strong. And I was, I was raised a deer hunter. My, my whole, everybody does up here. And, and I was real passionate about it. And when I went to college, I met a bunch of buddies that were from Minnesota. I went to, I went to school on the Minnesota border and they were all big duck hunters. And I got into duck hunting and that's when I got my first Labrador and, um, it was 1999. I got my first lab and, and I fell in love with the idea again of using the dogs and enjoying the dogs as part of the hunt. And I didn't have that. I didn't get that with deer. Um, and it just wasn't a place to use them. And several years later, I, I missed the idea of being really, you know, a person only has so much time. And if you're going to do stuff right, it takes time. And if you're going to bird hunt, it, it's a lot of time in scouting. And if you're a deer hunter, it's a lot of scouting and time as well. And you, I physically didn't have enough time to do both and do both well. So I decided, you know, I need to, I wanted to go back into, to more passionately pursuing deer and, and the idea of using a dog to shed hunt. I shed hunted for years without dogs, uh, rather unsuccessfully. And, uh, yeah, it hundred percent. And and you know, this is back in the day when shed hunting really wasn't even that popular. You know, it was you'd talk about shed hunting to someone and they didn't weren't sure what it was. They weren't exactly sure what you were even even doing. Um, so by bringing the dogs into it, it it allowed me to that excuse of another reason to go, another reason to figure out how to use that use the dogs um, to benefit me, but also to enjoy it more. So that was kind of our transition. And then um, in, in more recent years, you know, we, we then went to using the dogs for game recovery. We've got a full line of products that we do for game recovery tracking products. And so that was the, that was a real logical next step. If you're going to have a dog that shed hunts for you in the, in the spring, use them in the fall for tracking and, and, but I, I, you know, I think as hunters, we go through lots of cycles. And, and one of the things that I transitioned back into was the birds in the last, probably the last five, five years or so, maybe five to 10 years. Um, we've, I've gotten back into it. And so um, now it's, now we're using, and, and the beauty of it is, is we're using the same dogs to do just about all of it and, and, and enjoying it all a lot more. Well, what I, what I wanted to start with when we're talking about shed hunting is one of the things you mentioned when we were talking before the program started is that the similarities in dogs who upland hunt to shed hunting skills. Sure. Yeah. Because you said you started with pheasants, right? Yeah. And then 
that segued over into your your shed hunting. Right. I think because of the parallels in those skill sets. Yeah, I think a lot of times that that um, you know shed hunting itself is is something that a lot of people I think are intimidated by. I think it's a little bit it's it's this idea of it's a specialty thing. It's a real niche thing, and you know it, it is to a degree. But so is upland, and so is gun dog work or waterfalling. So is uh, detection dogs. So is cadaver dogs. Like it's all very spe- very specific and, and narrowed down to meet what we're looking for as a handler, our needs. But what I think is overlooked is the idea that, and this is not to discount the idea of those specialty things, but the idea is of what does it take in order to do those things? Um, you know, when we, when we think about it, it's, it's natural game finding. It's a, it's a dog with a good nose. It's a dog that has a a desire to want to please us and make us happy, do the things that we want to want them to do. So when you, when you look at the, what it takes in order to do those things, um, and then you look at on top of that, most of these dogs that we're using these days are, 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 you know, the word versatile is a real buzzword, you know, cause there's the the NAVDA group and, and, you know, we've, we've, I feel like we like to place everybody in groups and, and we yeah. like to start groups on Facebook and Instagram and all that. So everybody likes to be a part of a group and that's fine. But I think what we need to understand is that those groups are like formally drawn up things for us. But, you know, the idea of a versatile dog, versatile, the definition of versatile is being able to do multiple things and, and, and do them well. And I think that the Labrador falls into that group, should fall into that group, just the same as, as the Rotar and just the same as any, you know, any of these other breeds. So I look at that skill set is there and it, we just shape it and customize it to exactly what, what works for us best and works for us well. So, you know, I, I, you know, the similarities between an upland dog and a shed dog are much closer than let's say a pheasant dog and a duck dog, because you look at what the per, you look at the things that the, that's necessary for them in order to do what you want them to do. You know, a dog that's a gun dog, we we need them to be steady. We need that marking ability, lining ability, handling ability, all of those things that transfer to the field really well. When you look at an upland dog, we look at range and nice quarter and cast and working, you know, game finding ability. But the difference, you know, when you look at that upland dog and then you look at the shed dog, what does the shed dog do? range quartering and casting the natural game finding instead of flushing they just pick up and retrieve well the the flusher retrieves eventually it's just we have to shoot the thing first so there's a lot of there's a lot of overlapping parallels there um when you start talking about the the pheasant dog and or the upland dog let's say and then the shed dog I wouldn't even know where to begin with taking my dog shed hunting. Sure, <laughs> sure. Like, I wouldn't even know the first step. What? What? This is going a little bit off of what we talked about, but I, I'm thinking to myself, what would be the initial skill? Let's say I wanted to go and I have a pup. I wanted sure. to start with this. What would be the initial skill that I, so besides obedience, that I would take my dog in yeah. this direction? Yeah, so you just nailed it when you said besides obedience. Because besides, like everything starts with obedience, like no matter what, like what is the initial step with every dog that we're going to work with is that foundation. And for me, it's heel, sit, stay, come and I call you. Four things, pretty simple. And, but those four simple things are really simple until you start getting into them. It's just like anything else. Have have you ever done vinyl siding? (laughs) Weird question. Me put, or seen it or put it on? You ever put on vinyl siding? No, but okay. Gosh, wouldn't so, that be a shocker if I said yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, may, yeah. If you said, "Hey, I'm a vinyl contractor," I would have said, "Okay, never." Yeah. Bad analogy. But so I, I've not done, I've not done vinyl siding before either, right? But we've got a little cabin up, up, up in northern Wisconsin, and we put an addition on it. And two, three weekends ago, I put vinyl siding on it. And if you've ever done vinyl siding, and some of the people that are listening might might have done vinyl siding before, and they'll go, "Yeah, it's it's very simple. Like putting vinyl siding on is not very complicated." Uh, I struggled with it for hours and hours and hours getting started. I fought the siding. I nailed it the wrong way. I wasn't cutting the right parts. There were little little intricate things that a Google search, a couple of YouTube videos, all stuff that I should have done ahead of time, I didn't. And so I experimented with it and I had a lot of struggles and I was sweating and swearing and it was not pretty. It was ugly. My, my wife 
came out at one point and said, what is going on here? And so, but here I am and I'm fighting this, this, this idea of putting on vinyl siding. Now, a vinyl, someone who does vinyl siding for a living would have been able to do, do that job very simply. And they would have, they would have laughed at me and said, no, 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 don't do that. Do this. No, 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 don't do that. And it's simple stuff. Like it's not, not rocket science by any means, but there's a craft. It's a craft. It's a trade. It's a skill that's developed. And the more you do it, the more, the, the better you're going to get, the better you're going to get, the easier it's going to be to do. And the more fun it's going to be, it's going to be faster. You're going to be more productive. So the idea of all this stuff, when it comes to dogs, I I say, he'll sit, stay, come on, I come on, I call you. That's simple. And, and if I say it that way, a lot of people that are listening are going, that's really, he's right. That is really simple. Those are very simple things until you start putting the vinyl siding on and realize it's a lot of little, little things. And so that those foundational things, you know, they're simple, but there's a lot of little parts to them. And if you start, if you start getting out of sequence with stuff, if you start having, I, I oftentimes use dog training, an analogy I use is like a chain because everything's linked together and, uh-huh. and links by themselves don't do us much good. But when you connect a lot of links together, now you've got a tool that you can use. And that's the dog's, all these training skills. So, but if you have a bunch of links here and a bunch of links here, but you can't get them connected, what good does it do you? And that's where, that's where it takes time. It takes making the errors. It takes seeing and reading and having an understanding of what it is and then piecing that stuff back together. So the, I, you know, I, I, that was the worst answer to the simplest question of what do you do when you start shed hunting, but... No, it makes sense because we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I it looks simple. When you start looking at, um, especially now that my dogs are involved in the hunt test world, and you see a dog go out and, you know, fetch, he'll pick up a pretty difficult mark, and you're thinking, well, you know, before I started all this, I thought, well, you know, he's going out there, he's picking up the bird and coming back. But what you don't realize are the 10,000 steps for sure that make it look effortless. Yeah. And you and we talked about you can either send your dog to a trainer to do this or what becomes I think very intimidating for people. I know it did for me uh, to try and train them to do some of the initial steps yourself. Sure. And so I wasn't really sure where do I turn? And one of the things that intrigued me about your your series, I've watched it for some time now, is how much you attempt to empower the owner sure. or the person doing the training. So we can talk talk to me a little bit about your videos and your methods because I, I love that when we, we talked earlier before this, you, you um, part of your job and mission and your brand is to teach people how to train on their own or put some of the power back into their hands yeah yes and 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 so one of the things that and i'll make no mistake in saying it i i won't i i'll be completely transparent like i i although i think there is value in potential value in some of the stuff that we put out there um for a professional trainer our my goal and objective is not to train professional trainers um or provide that provide that insight because quite honestly i don't know that i'm i'm fit for that i i am you know people have said stuff about you know talked about the idea of a professional trainer and i guess professional the truly the definition means you get paid for it that's that's how i read it so yes to a degree i guess that you could throw me into that bucket but what i what our goal is and what my objective is with most of the stuff that we're sharing is to try to help folks that are training their own dogs. Uh, I, I think the goal the goal is if if there's an unwritten mission for us, it's to help folks enjoy their dogs more and, and get get more enjoyment out of it, big picture and little picture. And then also the idea is to make it as enjoyable for the dogs as well. And I I, I think that's a that's a part that gets overlooked at times. I think what's really cool is these days, especially, um, I do think more and more people are into DIY type stuff. Like they like yeah. the idea of doing it themselves. They they recognize that there's a lot of things out there and resources out there. I mean, I wasn't going to hire a vinyl contractor to come and do my siding. <laughs> Maybe I should have. Obviously not. <laughs> no, but I, I looked at... Anyway. It, right, exactly. You can't. Good luck. 
So, but it, I look at that and I go, so, so our, our goals are to try to do that. And, and the way we do it is by trying to share. I, 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 I don't like the idea of people saying, I, and I get messages like this, and, and it, I, I, it's flattering, and I'm, I'm really appreciative of those messages. But I get people that will send a message and say, I followed your, I followed your program to the T. I followed your system to this. And, and I'm quick to remind them that don't. I don't think you should. I don't recommend you latch on. I love the idea of latching on and having loyalty to a, a belief or a philosophy. I think that's real important. I don't think you should hit your wagons 100% to anybody or anything because none of us, I don't have a set program or a set system that I train in. I have, a, I have some very general directions that we move and they're extremely consistent. I have some real strong beliefs in the approaches that I take when it comes to training a dog, and I don't waver on those much, but I also don't pretend to say that they're for everybody, and I don't say, and I certainly don't say those that don't do it that way or do it another way are wrong. Like, that's not my place to say that. I think that... Yeah, we're not building widgets here. Correct. That's what I tell people. We have a living, breathing thing, animal being, and... It's not always cookie cutter. Yeah, it's never not. is, and they're all different. And 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 the great the great trainers. I've I've been really lucky to be around, to pick brains of, to to sponge off of. I had a great I had a great friend of mine here yesterday. He came um, and trained with me, and he's he's been doing it for 40, 40 years probably. Um, he's a real wealth of knowledge. Does things does things very similar. We do things a lot. We do a lot of things very similar. We do a lot of things that are different. And we, t- we had a big conversation about it yesterday because we talked about other people in our network of friends that do things a little bit different. It's not wrong. It, and, it's, and it's not necessarily right. It's, it's what works for the individual. And I think the key is for anybody who's watching this or following your page and seeing other trainers, I, I do too. Like I listen to, talk to, study I'm going to be I'm going to be going to different classes and courses that people offer not to replicate because I don't think they fit what I do and how I do it and the dogs I do it with to a T because I I but I also think I should learn as much about it and understand as much about it as possible because there may be parts and pieces that I can apply and if that is the truth it makes me better. And so and, and I might not use it today. Like I'm training a dog right now. We do a lot of series and we're doing a series right now on a dog with a dog named Callie. Beautiful little yellow dog. And she is fantastic. I'm, I'm just, I've, I've enjoyed the dogs I work with more in the last five years than I've ever, ever enjoyed working with dogs before. Oh, hundred percent. Very cool. And it's, and it's because they're, they're each different and I've come to realize I'll approach each one differently. So if you watch the Cali series, it's different than the Bella series. It's different than the Spry series. Do you, we just saw um, live or live with Spry or live with Spry. Live with Spry, yeah. So it was Spry a dog of yours? Yeah, it's my daughter's dog actually. Uh, Mm -hmm. And she, she, that one is, and so that one is an interesting one too, because that was like, Spry is four years old right now. And we, Uh we trained her, um, it, it, obviously, it was my daughter's dog, so it was it lives it lives with us as part of our family. And I that was when Facebook Live started, and and we had, I had never done it before, and so we just accidentally or not intentionally recorded a Facebook Live with her. And from there, we got a lot of really positive feedback of man, I really liked you showing what you did with that seven week old puppy. So then we did it again when she was a few days later, and then it again, and then all of a sudden. We started to de- develop this relationship and connection with the people that were watching it almost daily. I think there's 150 videos um, on our on our YouTube channel, and it's yeah, it was over the course of about a half a year, well, about a year, I guess it was. And the thing about live with Spry was it was real informal. I did it with my phone. I did it live with my phone, and it was very raw, you know. And and so since then we've we've continued the idea of the series. Um, we've just upgraded the camera equipment is what it amounted to. But um, yeah, those, those are real valuable. And I think they're valuable because you'll see, 
you'll see everything, not just mm-hmm. highlight real type stuff. And I think that's I think that's real important for people to understand that the mistakes that I make are mistakes that other people make. And and if we mm-hmm. pretend that we don't make mistakes because we we are afraid to show that, then I'm not I'm doing a disservice to anybody who's trying to follow along and, and improve their training. I think that's always a fear of mine too. If I ever run my own dogs, I'm gonna make a mistake and mess them up forever. Yeah, <laughs> they'll be scarred for life. So they're pretty resilient. I'm nervous. Yeah, I get nervous. You know. So we've had some questions that have come in, and one of the questions I thought um, that we would start with it was a really interesting one. Um, and you said it's somebody that you, I see he's on here now. That's why I thought we would try it. This Malcolm sure. Austin. Eight. Yeah. Yep. He's uh, from, he's, he I think he's from the wrote, UK. Yeah. Yep. He, he wrote, or yeah, has the, or yes, has the whole conditioning video grew the dog bone brand. Sure. So, so it's a great question. And, and Malcolm and I have, have gotten to know each other really well over the last year, I would say, through DMs, like through messaging back and forth. Uh, he, I, I believe he's got a little, a little Springer. Um, I've, I've done, I've, I've, I feel like I've, and I, this happens with a lot of folks where I, I truly get to kind of get to know people and their dogs a little bit, although it sounds weird, it's through a computer. But um, no, I Hold, hold conditioning is, you know, it's a, it's an alternative, um, to what, to a f- traditional force fetch or a trained retrieve. It's what I do. I don't, I don't force fetch. I don't, I can don't. You, um, can you explain for those, I mean, I'm sure most of our audience knows what hold conditioning versus force, but for those who sure. don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I give us a quick, cause also if, if, if you haven't seen this video of Jeremy's Please watch it because this is one of his most brilliant videos. I, I think I, I've watched it over and over. I appreciate that. So so yeah. So I will, and I and I'll be honest with you. I don't think it. You you might be. You are probably right. A lot of people probably don't know the difference. I a lot of people refer it to me and go, "You're force fetch," and I I'm quick to say, "No, it's not a force fetch," and and I don't know that I I don't want to get hung up on terminology, but I think it's really important for clarification and understanding. So hold conditioning to me, hold conditioning, and this is something I learned. I I didn't develop this. I learned this, and I know a lot of people that do different variations of it. In fact, I think a lot of folks that do force fetch traditional way do this as well, and and they do it, I think, as a step leading into. So the difference, so for me, what hold conditioning is doing is it's a process in which we we can remedy a lot of symptoms, and the symptoms are can vary. The symptoms can mean blinking on dummies, meaning they run out for a retrieve, they go to, they go to pick it up and they just leave it. They, they decide to breeze yeah. on, they, they, they sniff it, they bump it, they move on. So I call that blinking on a dummy. Uh, the idea of, of running off, picking something up and just not bringing it back. They're gonna, they're, yeah, run away, t- turn yeah. it into somewhat of a game of keep away or, yeah. or just go explore what they want to explore. The idea of victory laps, that's a really common one where a dog doesn't want to come back, but he likes to do that. Yeah, it makes big loops around us and it's frustrating. And, um, My dog used to do that. Sure. Dropping short, you know, come, come to get to a certain distance and drop it. Get to, you know, so chomping, uh, being a little bit hard mouthed yeah. on a bird. Um, those are all symptoms that, that can come up, and there's more that can come up that I think hold conditioning is usually. A direction that I that I think helps us to alleviate or or remedy the symptom. Now that that's 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 part of it. The when does it so the the, the process itself is formal, very formal, and I, I don't do it until they're done teething. I think it's a you, you, it's for two reasons. Physically, they're just not ready for it. Mentally, they're probably not ready for it. It is a little bit more demanding from them from a thinking perspective, and I also think it's too much on a young dog because. Ideally, the the hold conditioning process I don't start until they're done teething. So let's just say it's it's going to be past six months. I still think they're a little they young for them. All their adult teeth is Co- correct. So okay. they lose their puppy teeth. They got their adult teeth in. Um, I think it. So from a sequencing standpoint, that's a minimum. 
I think that I would prefer to have it further away from that mark when they get those adult teeth in because I'd like to build in a little bit of retrieving prior to it. And okay. one of the things that I don't do when they're teething is retrieve. I just stop all retrieving because I think it creates problems. It, they've got a sore mouth. They don't want to pick something up. They've got a sore mouth. They want to chew on stuff. So why shape a habit or form a habit that's undesirable when you could just avoid it altogether? I think that's a, a basic training idea that can be applied to everything, in particular the retrieve. So I, I'm for sure going to get beyond the teething. I'm going to get back into some retrieving prior to, uh, to doing the actual hold conditioning. But when I get to the point, and usually it's because one of those symptoms comes up and I just can't go any further without having the frustration go away of the dog running off or the idea of why I don't want to continually shape that behavior and make it harder to reverse. So when it, when it becomes an issue, we go to, we go to hold conditioning and the process is simple. It's almost like brainwashing. Like it's almost like getting the dog to figure, to understand that once they pick something up and put it in their mouth, they can't spit it out until I tell them to I, I use the word dead. I don't care what you use, but use a word and be consistent with it. But some type of a delivery. And so I, I, they can't physically let that thing go. And then the other thing is, is I want them to understand where do I want them to let it go. I want them, I like a dog that delivers to the front. So I like a dog that comes to my front and delivers. It's all preference and it can be shaped particular how you want it. But how we get there is by a process of them understanding it. Very small baby steps starting elevated, getting their feet off the ground. We work, I use a wooden dowel, um, like a, a broom handle will work or a, a dowel for hanging, you know, hanging clothes. But I, I cut a short piece. And the only reason I use that dowel is because the, the first part of it can be not, not as pleasant for the dog. They might not like it. And so if they don't like it, I don't necessarily want to associate it with something that ultimately I want them to like. I don't care if they hate a wooden dowel. I don't want them to hate a dummy. I don't want them to hate a bird. I don't want them to hate a tennis ball. So I, I start with this, this object that really doesn't mean anything to them. I don't, I don't like dogs picking up sticks. So we're going to use a stick for this to just shape the idea of what it is. And then once they get past that and they're okay with it, then I'll start using objects that, that are good and, and things that I want them to actually pick up. But we go through this. It's a lengthy process. The video that we did... Um, the formal video that we did was actually a part of a series that we did of training videos and we were going to include it in that training video. Um, it became such a project in itself. It was an hour long and I didn't want to add it to the, it was our shed training video and I didn't want to add it to the shed training video because I thought it would take away from the shed training portion of it. And so what we decided at that point was we had, we had filmed it with a film crew and produced it. And I said, well, we could just sell it as a separate product. Like it's a hold conditioning video. And because it's so complicated. Yeah. And, and this is relevant to you were saying, um, Alicia asks, do you not use the term dead? before you hold condition or do you use it with the early retrieve steps? Leisha's all up. Leisha, your, your, your thought process is right on. So uh -huh. before we go to hold conditioning, so I always tell people, we talk about the formal part of hold conditioning and it's a process and it starts at a certain point. I make a, I do not do a good job of making this point that I think hold conditioning starts way before formal hold conditioning. And this is where I think Leisha is talking. I hold conditioning starts with the first retrieve your puppy ever makes. Like if we start going in, that's the idea of having an understanding of where we're going and a vision for the direction we're going to be going and understanding that is valuable. So it helps to shape our behavior prior to it. Like it allows us to understand the direction that we want to go. So the day the puppy makes a retrieve for you, whether it's by design or not, the puppy might, you might roll something out. I use a little balled up sock. I roll that out and the puppy picks it up and brings it back to me. That, that moment I'm encouraging the dog to hold on to it. I don't want to take it away from them. I don't want to steal it from them. I don't want them to think that there's a possessive thing here where I don't want to bring it back to them. I'm, I'm going to share it back and forth with them. I'm going to make it so that they don't feel threatened by the idea of bringing me this thing. In fact, they're really encouraged to bring it to me. Now, when they're really, really little, I don't necessarily think the need is there to give them a drop command or a dead command. I just get the, get the object back out of their mouth and give it back to them. But at a certain point, 
I'm going to get that puppy bringing stuff back to me. And I will say to them, I'll start to, t- to tap that, that, that verbal cue in with my, be- with my physical gesture. So if I take the thing out of their mouth, I'll say dead. But I'm not looking at it as that's like the training part. That's just imprinting it early. Because that will be something that will be valuable when I do get them up on top of the table and I start to formally do it in the whole process. So it's a really good question. Yeah, I do use the word dead earlier on, but I have a better understanding that it's not necessarily going to really influence or change the puppy because they don't know what that means. But I am going to use it. Why not? Like what? There's no reason not to. You're gaining by imprinting it and putting it in the right spot. Okay. So... Then you, I think you had, had said to me that you don't do force fetch. I don't. You do just hold. So why why do you not do that? Like what? I don't know does? why. I I don't know why you need to. <laughs> I've never had to. I've never you know. So so I look at I look at retrievers. I think of retrievers, and I think of they're built to retrieve. Like that's their last name. They've they've been named that. So <laughs> so they 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 retrieve. N- I've never had a dog that doesn't have some type of natural retrieve. Now it doesn't, it's not always the best. And some of them aren't always, some are better than others naturally. And when I say retrieve, I mean the idea of going out and picking something up and then bringing it back and delivering it to me. To me, that's a retrieve, but you break that, you can break that into lots of parts. So the idea of going out is one thing. The idea of coming back is another. And then a lot of little details in, in the middle there as well. I think that for me, I've never had, I don't want to associate any type of negative to something that they, I hope, have been bred for, for years, centuries to enjoy and want to do. I've never had a need for it. So I, I, I have no problem with those who force fetch. I don't. And so I think a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that are uncomfortable with the process I'm uncomfortable with the process. It doesn't, it does, it's not logical to me. It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Um, some people it makes perfect sense to, and that's fine. It, to me, there's no reason to put negative pressure and pain associated with this process with a dog. And, and in most, I don't think there's a need for it in most scenarios, in, if not all scenarios. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a I, don't, I don't go to avoidance training often or ever to a, now now you now someone will someone will be able to say yeah but you, you know we have another video out there that's a um a heel work video that's watched a lot it gets it gets a lot of views um i get a lot of grief on it because i make a, a correction to a dog's neck in the video i correct it and it yips i mean i startle it i shot i i get it surprised and from that point on, I go a lot softer and a lot softer and a lot softer, and the dog responds really well. And the guy who it was at a workshop, one of the training workshops that we did, and the guy who owns the dog, I've talked to him about it, and he said that was probably the most powerful moment I've ever had with that dog because it was the most responsive I've ever seen it. And I get people to say, you know, you're you're you use avoidance training because look at that video. You're right. I use pressure, I use pressure, and I use praise. But I also look at it and I go, I don't think it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to be on the extreme one way or the other. My goal is to try to get in the middle. I think that's where we need to be. That's where balance takes place. And so I'm trying to always strive for that and reach that with the dogs. So I, you, you, you won't see me do clicker training with treats. You won't see me do shot collars and force fetch. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It's just not the style I, it's just not the style I use. Um, that's interesting because, you know, there are, I, I, I feel the same way. I, not once again, I, I always joke, I play a dog trainer on TV, sure, <laughs> but sure. I think some dogs need a little bit that, I mean, it's just like people, you know, some, some people are, they're easy, you know, they're a little bit easier to train or, or they're easier at learning or disciplining or, you know, the same with dogs are no different. You know, some dogs sure. are easier, some dogs are more stubborn, some, not, not that we train people, but it, so I think you have to tailor it to the dog. For sure. And that's so important that you know your dog, um, and you know, you'll know your dog better than anybody else. So sure, sure. They, there's no better place for, for your pup than with you. So, 
Um, let's go on to this one because one of the things that strike me about our conversation is just how logical and how easy you break things down, Jeremy. Because <laughs> it's like uh, these questions, although they're com- they can be very complex, sure. but I think as somebody that understands dog psychology like you do, the answer is, is clear. Somebody asks, um, what drills to do if you're not near water and it's hot out, like midday activity drills, anywhere between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m.? Sure. So I think the answer there, so and we're going to be faced with that this weekend. We've got a handler's workshop here, and it's going to be 88 degrees on Saturday. And so our workshop goes, we start at 8, we we have coffee and breakfast at 8, we start training at 9, we're done at 4. Um, and and what, what will happen, typically, this time of year, we're usually not that warm. What will end up happening is, on Friday when people come in, we're going to talk about it Friday night and say, tomorrow is going to be really warm. Should we, as a group, decide instead of starting at 8 and then training at 9, should we should we have coffee at 5 and start training at 6? And then we'll take a midday break and then we'll train instead of ending at 4, we'll end at 7 and we'll bump the afternoon session later. And the reason we're going to have to do that is because the question, the idea or the question of what do I do during the midday when it's real hot, you don't do anything because you can't. It's not safe. And so... If you know the one way, the one way to train in some in some warmer weather is water. I think that's a, as long as your water's cool. You know, this is one thing that up here we have cold water. Um, one of the things I was talking, I did a seminar down in Missouri one summer, and I talked about well, water work. You know, we're going to go in the heat of the day. We'll go to water, and they said our water is ninety degrees hot. You know, ninety degrees warm. And I said, well, we're not going there then. So <laughs> you just you have you, there is no way to like. So the the simple answer is well don't you just don't you don't train during those conditions that aren't and and a lot of people will not will ask that question and, and I'm glad they asked it because they put some thought into it and they've been stumped by the idea of how do I overcome this challenge and the reality is is a really simple co- common sense thing is just you can't do it and and I think that m- more often than not that that can and should be the approach to questions when it comes to dogs. I think sometimes because they're dogs, we think they, we can't relate to them because I, I don't like the idea of humanization with dogs to a degree. But I also think common sense transfers regardless of species. So right. It's not as if they would be immune to heat because they're dogs. Exactly. You know, like yeah. people say, well, they're animals or whatever. Well, you know, they still feel, te- they have temperatures. They sure. Suck, you know, they are vulnerable to all types of things they're they're living beings i keep saying that you know yeah they're just like us if they had air conditioning they lay in the air conditioning just the same as we do (laughs) so you know there's no there's no it's the same they're very there's there are a lot of similarities and i think i think i think shifting our mindset to not be so worried and and you had mentioned it before you said something about you know i'm worried about wrecking them uh they're a they're very resilient and B, I think we we don't have to look at them so fragile. I think a lot of times we, we suffer from like we're, we're I, there's some terminology out there that I've heard people talk about it. It's this paralysis because you don't know. And I think sometimes the mistake, making the mistake is better than nothing at all. And as long as you learn from the mistake, you know that there I make mistakes all the time. I'm and I'm not. I'm, if you watch any of our YouTube stuff, you'll see it. I, I make a lot of mistakes, not intentional. Like it's, I don't do it on purpose, but I recognize that those mistakes are such good opportunities for me to get better. There's, they're, they're always the way that I can improve, but you got to recognize them. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Somebody had something here that I liked, but let the, that goes over to this one. I, because this was once again, another one of those, well, it combines with not, I'm not talking about the obvious because we don't want to call, or I don't want to call anybody out and say, well, you know, you did, this is kind of obvious answer because it's sure. not. Sure. The, There's the a reason basic, they asked. Yeah. And plus, because basic training, as you had just mentioned, it it, it is complicated. It, it, those four different skill sets and commands, although they're very simple, they're actually, you know, they're complex. They can become very complex when teaching. Um, 
Somebody wants to know, eat, drink, hunt, Texas, how to get your older dog to honor your new dog while retrieving. Sure. Yeah, this one is is real simple. You know, it doesn't matter. The, the idea of plugging, you know, I think the question is driven around the idea of you brought, you got a new dog, how do you get the old dog to honor them? It doesn't matter if it's a new dog or if it's the neighbor's dog or it's a dog they've been hunting with forever. It, honoring another dog should not be predicated on what the other on the other dog. It's on the dog that you need to have honor. So it goes back to this idea of simply creating the the habits that are desirable in the older dog, like steadiness, patience, the ability to wait quietly and and have and be kind of respectful of of, of the other of everyone around him, not just the new dog. I think I think training dogs together is a, a question that comes up a lot and you can't you cannot do it like it's necessary it's, if you're going to work with other dogs it's one of the biggest problems people have when they come to workshops is their dog never does this at home they're embarrassed by it because they never do this they always behave better it's because you don't train in a group of 15 other dogs and that variable creates a lot of issues and so the idea of you have to work in groups with other dogs to be able to work in groups with other dogs, but you cannot do it without taking care of the first, the number one dog first. It needs to be perfect by itself with no distractions before you can start adding layers of distraction. And group work is a layer of distraction. It's a big one. It's a complicated one. And so it's a baby step incremental process to get to it and get into it and then get beyond it. And so, you know, the, the, the answer for that particular person is you got to work on you got to work on the old dog. It's not it has nothing to do with the young dog. Right, and um, I think uh, for whatever reason, I, I think that just because you're I don't I don't think somebody should throw in the towel just because their old dog doesn't have or hasn't mastered that skill set. Oh my gosh, no! Or like you know that we're just gonna that dog is. Yeah, they haven't been able to acquire the skill set, so we'll just you know throw them, throw them in the training or do whatever. No, take what, your time on each dog. What I think, know? and the beauty of that for that person is, so when I when they say new dog, I think we're both assuming younger dog. You know, they brought yeah. a new dog in; it's a younger dog. Uh-huh. So that's a that's a great way to double up on your training. Like you're you should work yeah. on the same skills. It's just you got to work them separately. So you're you're gonna have if you bring in a new dog, it's easy to understand. I've got some work to do here. If you've got an older dog, it's it's easy to think. Well, they've already they've got what they've got. They can continue right. to improve. So what what this person needs exactly. to do is this person needs to just do double the work, twice the work, with each one time with one dog and one time with the other, and develop them both together. You know how much easier it is to develop. It's this idea of continuity. Like mm-hmm. there's there's a there's a you know a common question that comes up is dog listens to me really well but not my wife and kids or vice versa you know it it could be the it totally could be the opposite but so so we hear that a lot and I tell I my answer to that is always consistency is key in training and you know that as an individual you have to be consistent in order to form a habit that same consistency needs to be consistent throughout your house so like if dogs don't live by separate sets of rules based on who the handler is they have to they learn a skill set or behavior expected, and then the people need to replicate it. And that's where that consistency doubles up. Like it, there's got to be yeah. consistency throughout. So if you're developing, if you're developing a, a product that you want with that young dog, just start, now is a perfect time to start shaping it with your older dog as well. And work them individually, get them both good, and bring them up together. And and you'll that young dog may be just what you needed to inspire you to go back to work with the old dog. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, I like that a lot because sometimes it gets stale, you know, in right. training. Absolutely. Um, this was interesting. I have a puppy and a gun dog program to hunt. I have an almost older dog who isn't. Should I let them play together and then take the train one solo to run drill? So I think what he's saying, because one is going route A, the other's route B, are they allowed to mix together? Yeah, so I think they can. I think there's going to be some. I think there's going to be. Um, it, the, I I believe really strongly in cultural impacts. Like I think the cultural impacts that we put kids into really develops them into adults. 
I think the same is true with dogs. And I think that I love my dogs, young dogs, I love my dogs to be around and involved with other dogs. I think it's a natural, I think it's a socialization thing. It's really healthy for them. I think it's, uh, but I also think it depends on the crowd. Like my kid, I've got a, I've got, we've got a mixed bag of kids here. I've got a two-year-old little daughter, an 11-year-old daughter, and a 19-year-old son. So we're really spread out. And my 19-year-old son, I can speak off of experience because he's grown up to be a pr- damn good kid. I mean, I'm really proud of him. He's going to college right now, and he's just a really good kid. And I think that a lot of, as I look back on the last 19 years, I see the results. He's, a, he's an adult. He's a young man. And I see what's, what, he, what he embodies today. And I can tell you 100% it's a reflection of what he's been around. I mean, I'm, and I'm proud of that. I'm not bragging about it. I'm proud of it. it. It has to do with his impacts of his mother, probably as much or more than his dad. But um, I also see, I see so many similarities to aunts and uncles. I see friends. I see fr- parents of friends in him. I see all these behavioral traits of his in, in, in what I'm going to call a moral compass. He's got it, he's got it built on those he's... He's got it built on who he's been around. I think dogs are the same way. Now I've got a little one. I've got a two-year-old. And she is in just moved into this big kids' daycare class or whatever. And, and within a week of being in that class, she came home and she's biting people. And I'm going, where, the hell, where did this come from? Cultural impact. There's a kid in that class that bites kids. And all of a sudden, she's wow. becoming, she's shaping and forming these habits. And I go, here's a perfect example of when we have these dogs working in groups, I love, yesterday we had six dogs working together, um, me and my buddy that came up with his dogs. The oldest one, I had a couple of my older ones with that are five, five years old. And then the four out of the six were under 16 months old. So pretty young, pretty young dogs. And some were a little squirrelier than others. And we, some required more control and more focus and attention. The old ones laid there and they were just, you didn't even know they were there. And I go, so can dogs, should dogs, those young dogs be around those older dogs in those groups? Absolutely, because look at the role model they're getting. They're not being, they're not being spun up. They're not. So I like the idea, but if you have a dog that is untrained as far as behavioral or, or maybe trained but not desirably, I want to keep my young dog that I'm looking to shape in a different direction, I'll keep it away from that. Because, yeah. because and, and I'll keep it away from it until they can have such strong habits formed that are desirable that that distraction of that other dog do not erode the behavior that I'm looking for. So I love place training with dogs, not necessarily for, not necessarily for a lot of the skill development stuff, but I like it as simply a skill in itself I'm turning around. I've got two of them on place right now behind me. And that is something where I like a young, that's a place where it allows them a little bit of security and some perimeter. And I'll put a young dog that's going to struggle to focus on a place. And then the dog that maybe is a little bit more rambunctious and runs around and untrained, that one can be do what it wants. But my dog is not going to be allowed to free roam and interact with it. My dog can experience it and watch it and understand that I'm not allowed to do that. And I always say they become a product of their environment. For sure. So, you know, if you ever watch dog, that's their pack animals. For sure. That's everybody, their pack animal. Well, you ever watched, you know, one dog starts digging in the garbage, the second one, the third sure. one. <laughs> sure. You have to, they're a product of their environment. Yeah, so, For, without it's question. So important to have a consistency. Um, this one I thought was interesting. I know we're, I'm trying to be mindful of the time, but these are some, this question I have not had before and I liked it, uh, because it has to do with, once again, I I would love to, we'll do in the future, hopefully get into the whole concept behind upland training, because that's something, you know, we're all waterfowl here, but we have plenty of upland followers and, um, and talked about the uh, best way to get a point, pointer to retrieve. Sure. And this always fascinates me because I see pointers going after, you know, I see pointers doing duck work. Yeah. But I see more Labradors going, you know, doing bird um, upland hunting than the other way around. So. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So, and I'll put this out there to to be real clear. So, I I have my first deposit on an English setter. I'm going to be getting here in the next, hopefully this summer yet, but um, it's not looking like that. It might be next summer. Um, but I I'm going to be bringing in a pointing breed, and and part of part of it is because of my own personal desire to have one, uh, because of my hunting style and and what I like to hunt. I really love hunting grouse and woodcock. And so we're going to be getting a dog for that purpose, but also because I've never trained a pointing dog and I want to, I think it will help me greatly better understand dog training in general, not just retriever training. So I, so the question, you know, but I've now I've worked with some pointing dogs. Uh, We've had pointing dogs come to our workshops. And so I've had some, I've had, I've been around them enough, um, not to call myself a pointing dog trainer, but I've been able to see them and I got news for, for you, a dog's a dog. You know, I, I don't, whether it's a pointing dog, whether it's a, a flushing dog, whether it's a tracking dog, we've done, I've gotten, been able to, been really lucky to get involved with some, some real serious tracking people, track, you know, whether it be specialty breeds, hounds and, and different dogs that are specializing in that style of hunt or, you know, I've just been around and I, and I love it because I, I do think it allows me to learn a lot more about dogs in general. And the one thing that I found is it is difficult in life to fit round, round pegs into square holes. Like there's a reason that it just doesn't, that there are certain things that make things easier. Retrievers retrieve, pointers point. And so did they have a, did they have a specific breed or did you just say a pointer? When he asked that question, so so here's I've trained beagles and and I've had a lot of fun with beagles. I've I've hunt, I hunt rabbits over them. Of friends that have them and love love the dog. Um, not necessarily want to own any, but uh, I, not right now. Not right now, anyway. But um, I've seen some, and I and I think this can be a, another another re- way of doing this is go down to the beach this summer or go to the dog park and watch. People throw frisbees. Watch people throw tennis balls. Tennis balls are probably the 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 best secret tool. That's not a secret. Like it's 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 such a powerful thing for dogs. And I don't know why, but they just they most dogs love tennis balls. They love. And they love tennis balls. And so yeah. And and when you start yeah. thinking about retrieving, I think sometimes we think it needs to be a formal dummy, or it needs to be a bird, uh-huh. or it needs to be an antler. And I'll, a a retrieve is. They picked up the pop bottle that was in the ditch and brought it back to you. That's a retrieve. And so retrieving is retrieving. And I think what I would do with a dog in this scenario of maybe not a strong, natural, instinctive retrieve. I lost you there for a second. Am I back? No way. You cut up. Okay. So if if they're not a real strong, natural retrieve, I would try a few things. Make it into a fun game with a tennis ball. And that doesn't mean asking for formal steadiness. That doesn't ask mean for ask, requiring a nice delivery. Just get one step of it. Get one part of the retrieve. Throw a tennis ball and let natural predator prey take place where they chase it. And hopefully scoop it up because they caught it. And then really make them think like they saved the world by doing it. Really get excited. Really get. I, I like to get down and welcome them back to me. Instead of standing up and asking for this delivery, get right down on the ground and let them bring it right back to you. Another thing I think you could try is if your dog swims. I, you know, water is a really great place to connect retrieve because it eliminates the need for the dog to pick it up and carry it. If you throw something out in the water, a tennis ball, let's say, and you don't have to throw it 30 yards, throw it five feet and get the dog just enticed enough to go out and have to swim and grab a hold of it. And then they turn around because where else are they going to go? They're not going to run off. They can't go anywhere. They're going to turn and they're going to come back to shore, which gives you a nice chance to position yourself to receive them. Go right in the water yourself. Get it to the point where they don't even have to come out of the water. Go into the water. And yeah, you get, you start shaping, you start shaping behavior. The behavior is go out and pick that thing up and then swim it back to mom or dad. And so I think there's different ways to start you know, you trick them into it almost by making it fun. You trick them into the idea of they can't help but predator, prey, chase something. So don't ask them to be steady. Just get them to run. Get and and that's where I see like people in the parks that are not dog trainers by any means. By any and I can tell you that because I watched them heal up. <laughs> the dog dragged them to the dog. They're not they're not trainers, but they'll go. Well, no. 
But they'll go into that park and they'll start throwing that frisbee, and that dog runs out and brings it back, and runs out and brings it back. And there's a lot of retriever people that can't get their retrievers to retrieve that well, and I think it's because we take it too serious and are too formal. Yeah. Have it be fun first. Yeah, and don't overdo it. I always like to say to shorten the distance. Absolutely. You know? And don't try for 100 yards, just Simplify. take this. You know, um, there's one more that I also, this one, I we've been, because a lot of people are training in water right now, obviously, but um, my dog, this is very specific, but I, I like this question. My dog drops and shakes the bumper right out sure. into the water, so how do I solve that? So I think it's talking about something along these lines yeah treat and then drops the bumper sure well that's super common because the thing is is when the dog comes out of the water that's what they're going to do is shake they want to shake first and so they're going to spit the dummy so what we what we what i try to do is and i think there'd be you know this is the thing where there's just no like real simple black and white answers like i have questions back for this person i go well how old is the dog like, is it a little puppy? Is it an older dog? If it's an older dog and it's been doing this for three or four years, I would treat that a little bit differently than if it was a puppy and just starting to swim. But one of the things that you can do is, first off, don't let the habit form in the first place, if possible. So if you've got the little puppy, get to the water's edge and get intercept that pup before it gets out of the water and needs to shake and start forming that habit of, when I come out, I hold on to it. And again, this is that idea of, Hold conditioning ultimately is a fix for this. But I think prior to doing hold conditioning, you should be shaping this behavior. So when they're little and they start swimming and they're four months old, let's say, and they're not hold conditioned, they go out and they pick something up and they bring it back to shore. Meet them at the water's edge and don't let them start spitting and shaking and forming that habit. And then what I can do is just take a step back and have them come to the edge and again, encourage them, hold, 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 and get underneath them and be, I, I like to, I think people always want to pet their dogs on the top of the head to praise them. If they have something in their mouth, never pet the top of their head. Because when you okay. pet the top of the head, the head goes down. When the head goes down, all they have to do is open the mouth and the object falls. Instead, get in a habit of petting them up from the underside. So I'll come, I'll get underneath their chest and I'll come back up under their chin and I'll, I'll pray. They're getting the same praise and I'm telling them how good they are. And all I'm doing is every time I pet them, I'm reassuring and, and, and confirming the idea of, put my chin up and when my chin is up even if they open their mouth it doesn't fall out so we're shaping that hold and so we can start doing that right from the start but wow that's interesting as they get older cool. as they get older that dog we're going to remind it when it gets to the when it gets to that water when it gets to start to come out ah, 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 hold ah, ah, hold hold and then they're going to look at you and they're going to go back to that idea of oh yeah i'm supposed to hang on to this and then when i take it from them i always say okay and now that gives them the opportunity to shake off. And so it's this timing thing. Very cool. I mean, I, I you know, once again, um, one of the most important and obvious, I don't want to say obvious, but the most important thing that falls out from our conversations is that it takes time. For sure. And you have to have patience. Like well, I'm listening. And it, obviously the most success, the, the longer, the more patient, the more success I think you'll have with your dog. Don't most, rush it. It's the most underrated skill a trainer can have, in my opinion, is patience. Mm -hmm. And and the beauty of training dogs to me is it transfers to life. Like we are, we, we, if we, if I could do, I pray every morning when I get up for patience. It's part of my routine because I know I need it. And that's not just with dogs. That's with like everything that's going on. And Especially so, now. yeah, for sure, for sure. And it'll never, that's not going to change. It's, it, it's, it, we're always going to be needing patience will never hurt us. It'll only help. Nope. And so with the dogs, the beauty of it, and again, kind of full circle comes back to when we started talking and when we talked prior to going, coming on here, you know, our, my goal is to help the person that's training their own dog. And one of the best things that, that we have going for us in that, myself included, I train clients' dogs, but I train them. I almost lost you. Sorry about that. <laughs> I train a client's dog without a time frame. There is no, there is no window of we're going to do this by this time. We're not, there is no like, 
you send them for me this, for this time, for this amount of time. I don't do it that way and it's intentional and it's a really poor business model if you're going to train dogs. Like that's not our business. Our business is helping others train their dogs and hopefully providing them support, whether it be product stuff or information. But the one thing that I've got going for me that I, that I wouldn't have if I was a kennel that needed to train a number of dogs so many through the door through the year, the thing that I have going for me, which I think is invaluable, is the idea that there, and this is the person that's listening, training their own dog, there is no time restriction or limitation to this. You have as much time as is necessary to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And, and I actually think that when you start to take that pressure off of yourself, a couple things happen. First off, you become a lot more productive. It's, it's really counter, it's, it sounds backwards, but I always tell people the best way to speed things up in training is to slow them down. It's, it's the best way. And I think that it's, it, when we embrace that mentality, it becomes more enjoyable. And when something becomes more enjoyable, I do it more often. And when I do it more often, I get better at it. And so it's, just, it's a real vicious circle in a good way. But what it does is it snowballs and it allows us to, to find more success. And, I, and I, again, this is where I go, I don't know that that's the mentality that a professional trainer that's got a kennel of 30 dogs can take. I get it. It's not, it's, it doesn't work that way. I'm not, I, I'm not, that's not my situation. And I think that's not the situation that most people training their own dog face. And I think we have to realize, I hope that we're able to like, bring a little light to that idea of, Hey, I'm not in a rush and I don't think you should be either. And when you, when, when that happens, I think it, it allows for a lot of real positive things to take place. Yeah. I think people need to be cognizant of the fact that don't, you know, this is your own pace and your own style and not compare yourself to the dog next door. Absolutely. We see in this world of social media, it applies. I mean, our page too we post the biggest the best you know sure. we're always trying but recognize that you know those are great examples sure but you be the best that you can be and do it you know on your time and in your dog's time don't try to shove them through this yeah the last it's, it, it's it's unfair to the dog and it's unfair to the person and I, and I yeah. think that and I think that it, it, it you are exactly right like the last thing I worry about and it, so when it comes to pace of training and scheduling of training and the idea of like sequencing, a lot of folks want that. They, we, we want that. We, we're structured on time. We're, our lives are driven by time. Dogs don't care about time. They just don't. They don't. And so what... That's so true. They don't. How would they know? No. There's, and so I really think that that's, that's just an important thing to understand and... and uh, real one of the things there's a, there's a lot of trainers that I look up to um, and have have taken a lot from over the years and and will continue to as as time goes on but one of the one of the simplest answers I got was from a trainer that I was training a dog that was out of his lines and and I was really having fun with it and and things were going really well and I I, I was using him as a resource and and sharing stuff back and forth and and one of the things he said to me was, you know why you're having the success you're having right now? And I, I didn't. And, and I said, no, you know, I, I, I had my ideas and, you know, the dog's real natural and it, all this stuff. And he said, it's because you're having fun. And he said, he said if, you, if you are having fun with it, that's when you're going to see progress. And, and I, I, have, I have had times in my life training where I dreaded having to get up and go work with this dog. And it was, bec- and, it, and, and the reality was, is because I was putting some really unfair pressures on myself and that dog, and it didn't work very well. It just yeah. didn't work well for me. Oh, well, we could talk forever, and I'm telling you, you watch your series. Not, I, I think it applies to life itself. That sounds kind of. I'm telling about there. It does. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I, I think. Yeah. I, I honestly think that um, I think there's so many things I've learned so many things I, I've become so much better at at and, and I've got a hell of a long ways to go 
I, I have so so far to go when it comes to being a, a better dad, a better husband, a better son, a better uh, everything I'm doing, whether I'm coaching kids in sport, I, I don't care what it is. There's so much there I feel like I have so much more to learn and, and so much more improvement to make. And I think that dog training for me is is one of one of my greatest passions. It's one of the things I enjoy the most. It's taught me so much about all the other parts. And that's why I owe so much to training dogs. I owe, I, that's why I owe so much to the dogs. Like that, and, and when we start looking at it that way, our mindset is different. And, and it's about perspective. We talk a lot about it here around our, our business and our culture and our family. And I call it family because it's both blood and our business. They're our, they're, that's our family. And, yep. and the, people that, the people that we connect with, Malcolm. I mean, Malcolm's been messaging. He's part of our family. And so when I look at that, I go, to me, that is, that's the whole point of it, is to try to figure out how to improve that, get better at it. Um, it's, ne- it's necessary. It's something that we, we, we need to do. And it's, it's fun to do it. So I, I, I thank you so much for having me. I, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. So I want everyone to go to, it's the dogbonehunter.com. Check out your products. Uh, grab on to some of those videos and your training products. Go to your YouTube channel. I mean, it's just, the, it's great. It's great stuff. I appreciate really it. Yeah. Appreciate I encourage people. Thank I really, so yeah, I really encourage people if you have an interest, um, go to YouTube is probably a really good spot to start. Like it's free. Like you get what you pay for. So don't complain that it's not, you know, but it, it's free. And what it's going to do is it's going to give you a better understanding of, of what, you know, our, our website is great. And I, I really appreciate not only supporting our, our business, but small businesses in general. Like I just think it's a really important time to do that. And so I, I'm so grateful and thankful for those that do it. Um, but I also think that, you know, you don't have, you don't have to buy our stuff to, to make, to fulfill us. Like if we can help you with your dog, our pod, we have a podcast, we have the YouTube, like that's all stuff that's free. And, and the idea of it is, um, if we can help, it, we just want to help. And, and that's, that's our goal. That's our objective. That's what ours is too. So we're free. Absolutely. That's why we're honest brokers. I always say we're an honest broker. We owe it to the dog. Sure. That's why we try to stay that way as long as we can. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I appreciate it, Diane. Thanks for having me on.